Thanks for tapping into the Untapped Keg podcast, a podcast where we explore different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you can take something, implement it into your own life. Here, we believe that there's only one right way to sobriety. That's the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Patrick Fox. Patrick is a coach for men who want to rethink alcohol in their lives, and he's also the host of the Alcohol Rethink podcast. How are you doing today, Patrick? Yes, RJ. Yeah, really well. Thanks, man. Great to be on the show. Looking forward to it. <laughs> I do too. So uh, I was on your podcast, um, you know, not too long ago, and it was really fun. So I'm really excited to have another conversation with you. But if why don't we give people a little bit of background into just who Patrick Fox is? Oh, deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who am I? Getting away existential. I, do you know what, actually? It's funny because that was one of the key things that came up for me when I wanted to stop drinking was like, who am I without alcohol in my life? Because I was working with someone the other day and I was talking about this. And, you know, like we've all got our own fears. They're all unique. They're similar but different. And that was one of mine. It's like, just who am I without alcohol? So before I stopped drinking, I was very much a drinker. You know, that's how I saw myself. I was very good at drinking, in my opinion. Like I would be the first out, last out, encouraging everyone to drink, organizing events for people to come to that in, around alcohol, right? Like, like orchestrating a lot of things that evolved around alcohol. Uh, and that's really not that uncommon. And my relationship with alcohol began, like many people in the UK and possibly across the planet, was quite young, about 14 or 15. I can't remember exactly when. Uh, what I do remember is that first beer I drank was one that had been left out from a party from my parents. And I drank it the next day and it was fucking horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely horrible, right? Like warm, warm ale or whatever the hell it was back then. <clears throat> and so I think really when I first started getting into alcohol was going to my dad's house. So my dad was a big drinker and my parents got divorced when I was about nine. We lived in the in Germany back then. I was actually born over there. They were working in the services. And we moved back to the UK on my ninth birthday, at which point my mum said that they weren't going to be together anymore. Uh, and then so, like, we would go see him every other weekend or whatever. And I think it was probably, I was around 14 or 15. Every weekend we were going to see him, we were in the pub, right? We, he had this ex-servicemen's club down the end of the road like you could guarantee that that's where we were going to be on a saturday from about 12 o'clock for most of the day or going to see my granddad at another pub in a couple of towns across and stuff so from a really young age right like we were being brought up in pubs like it's kind of how i think about it we were exposed to that environment and i think back now man and that pub that he used to take us to was an absolute shithole it was it was grimy. There were people doing drugs in there. It was really just not appropriate for a child to be there. But of course, me and my brother loved it because like we were in there and <laughs> we were allowed to do what we want. Like at the beginning, it wasn't drinking alcohol. In the beginning, it was just like uh, drinking Coke and having loads of crisps and just being able to have whatever we want like that was in, available in a bar or then being sent to the shop with some money to go and buy loads of sweets and stuff. And I think that's where my sugar addiction began as well to be honest 
And so we were in that pub and I remember he started letting me drink. When I was probably about 15, still at school or whatever. And then it started to drinking with mates as well, right? I'd go out um, with mm-hmm. people after school. Like one of my things was wanting to fit in because we had moved from another country to the UK, even though I spoke this, exactly the same language, I wasn't speaking German, I was speaking English. I always had that sense of like not really fitting in because we joined in the school year in the middle of a term and it was the like the second year of primary school. So, you know, a lot of people had already made their friendship circles. Yeah. yeah and just found it tough, like trying to fit in. And these are things I've only really come to know about myself in, since stopping drinking and recognizing that. So like always wanting to fit in. Uh, and the way that I ended up trying to fit in was with, the wrong crap let's say yeah i like through drink through drugs and stuff like that so yeah so from a very young age 14 15 started drinking i think actually i started smoking weed a lot more before i was drinking so that was like a big thing smoking all through school ended up getting expelled from school because i got caught with some puff um in the last year of school so that was again tough right again like fed into that story of not fitting in and also another belief of not finishing things and then went through college again drinking smoking failed had to reset the first year and then passed and then quit it's just like okay what was the point of the last two years <laughs> and then so from a very young age again now i'm 18 19 20s getting into ecstasy going clubbing and then cocaine came along and that really rj was what my 20s consisted of was going out and getting as fucked up as possible living for the weekend there's a company called weekend defender in the uk and they sell t-shirts and stuff i remember i bought this t-shirt uh and it had all of these nine pictures of nine different ecstasy tablets on it and when you asked me who who was i like that's who i was right like that was my identity like oh look at me i'm someone who goes out and takes drugs at the weekend and stuff yeah and yeah and I, and I lived up to it right like that was what it was all about i didn't have many career aspirations i was drifting buying jobs i just literally was waiting for my paycheck and then just going out you know very standard stuff i think with, with yeah. a lot of people when it comes to uh addiction as i now see it <laughs> so what was it that brought you to where you're at now what was the you know something that happened that catalyst to get you to start the podcast and you know be a coach yeah so my journey into coaching began about 10 years ago so i was late 20s by this point and i was working in my mom's company and she suggested doing some coaching to help support with the people i was working with and stuff and when I did that, that's when I started becoming a little bit more conscious of what I was doing and perhaps limiting beliefs. But also what really stood out was how low my self-esteem was, like how much I didn't believe in myself. I believed I was a good drinker, but outside of that, there wasn't a lot else going on for me, right? Like no planning, yeah. no forward thinking. Literally, it was just so in the moment, like the instant, constant instant gratification, like addicted to online poker, addicted to drugs addicted to smoking addicted to eating chewing gum man like that's a crazy one but just addicted to so many different things like it was crazy and then starting that coaching process started to waken me up to some of these things and that's when i first 
started taking some breaks from alcohol. I remember I had two weeks where I didn't drink, and I thought it was fucking amazing. It was like two weeks, man, because I literally couldn't look back and remember a time since about 16, 17 where I hadn't been going out on the weekend. And because I was still going out at that time, I didn't have a lot of belief in what I was doing. I mm-hmm. It didn't feel very congruent, man. I was just, you know, being a life coach and people think, oh, you tell me how to live my life, which is, of course, not what it's about. But to actually be able to work with people, but not be compass mentors, really, just being kind of having that mind that is constantly being altered by chemicals right so yeah the weekends massive highs early week massive lows and then it was just that bouncing up and down the whole time you know even in one job someone thought i had bipolar because i was just so extreme in my mood swing sometimes and it wasn't that it was just because of the the way that i was living my life and so in that stage, I didn't really do much with coaching at that point, but I was starting to, I was unconsciously starting to take breaks from drinking. So I started taking breaks because I would make it about sporting events, right? Like I was going to do a race. So I wanted to feel peak at what I was doing. So there was part of me already, right? Even though yeah. not fully aware, was aware that alcohol was impacting me in some way. I wanted, I became health conscious. I wanted to like lose weight and stuff. And then I would have the um my fitness pal app right you familiar with it um i've heard of it but i've never used it yeah yeah so there's this app and like you put in your daily calories and stuff and then i started putting alcohol in and you know on a week on a monday to friday absolutely be fine but then friday saturday night like i would almost double the amount of calories i was having in a week just because of the amount of alcohol that i was drinking i remember like putting in 10 pints of guinness was nearly 2000 calories and I didn't realize it at the time, but those were things that were starting to highlight to me of like, oh, maybe this isn't as good as I think it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so little things like that. And then I ran a London marathon. So I, I wanted to not drink whilst I was training, but ended up getting over um overtraining and getting injured. But that that this is twenty seventeen actually. So from January twenty seventeen I didn't drink for seven months. The first few months because the marathon but in march i had to pull out but then my son was due to be born in may so i was telling everybody i'm not going to drink because Gemma's pregnant my partner and i don't i want to be able to drive to the hospital if anything happens and stuff and there was that was true right there was truth to it yeah but there was also this other part of me that i hadn't really acknowledged that really knew alcohol wasn't good for me and it wasn't doing anything for me any longer Anyway, we got to like the July of that year and it was a sunny day outside and I just decided to have a drink. And then that got me drinking again for like another year and a half. And except this time, it was definitely not as much fun. The hangovers had become a lot worse just because I'd had that, you know, seven months is quite a long yeah. spell. Like you could completely withdrawn from alcohol and your body and brain had been doing a lot of healing. So when I went back to drinking, I started to feel a lot worse when I was hungover. And then that's when my cocaine use went back up again, right? And so I was buying cocaine and not telling people, right? Or going to a wedding and having to make sure, planning ahead that I had those things. Because I did. it sounds weird, RJ, but I don't actually like being drunk. I never like being drunk. 
I like I like the bars you get, but I never liked being out of control. I never liked yeah. it when I wasn't able to talk or walk or any of those things, even though they did happen from time to time. Uh, I didn't like not being able to remember the next day. Like it was horrendous, like because of that guilt and that that anxiety that is created because of it. Oh yeah, yeah. And then the thing that we've been building up to here is Boxing Day, twenty eighteen. The day before Christmas Day, I wasn't drinking because we just got a new puppy and we went to some friend's house, uh, mm-hmm. family house to to have dinner. So I was driving. I think I had like one or two beers. Um, but also during that month, I'd been out quite a few times. I'd be getting on it and I was really getting started to get quite fed up with it. And I was really mm-hmm. questioning why I was doing it anymore. And one of my best mates recommended reading this book, This Naked Mind. Uh, and I started reading it like in the beginning of December and just you know some of the things in there just immediately stood out for me and and one of the beliefs one of the beliefs that I anchored onto and which has helped me tremendously is like alcohol is ethanol uh, and understanding what that was right like that is an additive used in in fuel for cars and planes and then you know you start thinking well why am I putting that in my body like, what is going on for me? And so things were starting to happen, right? Like I was starting to become aware. I was starting to get educated about what was going on. And then I went out on this boxing day. Because I didn't drink the day before, I felt like I was entitled, that I was owed something and that I needed to drink more. So we went to my local football team down the road. They won, of course. So you need to go out and celebrate when your team wins, of course, right? Yeah. So we went to the pub. But, you know, I had this gremlin inside of me that after i had like four or five pints or whatever that i'd want to do cocaine because i knew that i would i didn't want to keep drinking because i'd get drunk but i also wanted to keep drinking so i thought i'd have to do drugs in order to like sustain myself almost so there's this night in this pub it's boxing day right like, and i'm phoning up all of these drug dealers and asking people in the pub if they know anybody uh, i'm with three other guys on this table I don't remember any of the conversations we had that night. All I remember is being so focused on getting something and how anxious I was feeling and not being able to get it. And then my phone was dying and I had to buy a charger and that didn't work and that made me more anxious. And it was just crazy. I was so fucking scared of missing this phone call. And luckily, nothing happened. I didn't get anything that night. And I remember going home and I had this horrible shot of Bailey's or something on the way home. Uh... And I vaguely remember stumbling home. And then the next morning I woke up on the sofa. Now, this isn't the first time I'd woken up on the sofa. I'd woken up on the sofa many, many times before. But this particular morning, I woke up and I was like, I am done with this. Like, I felt so shameful for what I'd done the night before, even though it didn't transpire, right? But I knew what would have happened. Like I would have still been awake on that sofa rather than waking up on that sofa. And my partner came in. And I was like, I can't do this to myself anymore. I'm just done. And I was aware of another program called One Year No Beer. And I was like, I'm just going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit to One Year No Beer. Like, Let me see what having a year not drinking really looks like for myself. Because, you know, outside of all of that, like I was fed up in my life. I wasn't really going anywhere. I had a job in my mum's company, but I was taking the piss. And I was, um, I felt like I was just being, getting away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. It didn't feel very fulfilling. It didn't really feel like I was bringing much to the table and so yeah that morning everything I call it that sliding doors moment everything just came together and I was like nah this is it 
And that is, your journey is really interesting because you don't have, you have all these little moments that add it up, right? And I think if you look at a lot of people's lives, that's kind of where they get these little moments add up. And then it's that, just the straw that, you know, breaks that camel's back. But it's great to hear how you didn't just have everything crumble around you and you had to rebuild just everything. It's just, you had these moments and you're already building a lot of, um, a lot of these tools that were going to benefit you. So you mentioned that alcohol being ethanol and that it's an additive to gasoline and, you know, jet fuel and all this other stuff. What is it about that belief that shifted that helped you to get to where you, you know, how you feel about it right now? It just like blows my mind that you would drink fuel essentially. Right. And that's what we're doing. But the crazy thing is, is like we're drinking the four or the five, the 6% version of it. Right. But if you drank it in its entirety, it would kill you. Right. Which like just, just does not make sense to me. Right. Like why, why would we deliberately dilute something to make it, okay to drink and obviously the stronger the percentage of something you drink the more drunk that you get well alarm bells should be ringing already right but i never saw that i just never saw that i always thought i didn't even really comprehend why they had a, a strength i just thought oh yeah, the stronger the better i'd never thought if that's a hundred i never thought to myself if that was a hundred percent that would kill me right yeah and, and, and so for me it's just yeah, it blows my mind. It still blows my mind. Like it, I just think about it in such a different way. Because usually we're going by percentage and thinking, well, what's the percentage I can drink all day? What's the percentage that's going to get me the most drunk, right? And it's just such a messed up way of looking at it. It absolutely is. And I, I, I went through the same way. Like, um, you know, trying to actually, you know, trying to find and finding some moonshine. Like... <laughs> Try, you know, trying to get this stronger stuff and then being, oh, I can drink, you know, how many shots of this compared to other people. And it's like, why was that? Why was I enjoying turning parts of my brain off in order to feel like I I was me? It's like, that's not being you. And that has really reshaped how I look back at my you know, 20s or in late teens. And it's like, oh, I didn't know who I was. So I just shut my brain off. So I didn't have to think about it anymore. So as you're going through with these new beliefs that you're building, are there any others that helped you to shift so that you could maintain just going past the one year, no beer? Yeah, and I think it was one I shared earlier. It's just like, I'm done with this, right? But what's interesting is that I thought it a million times before, but right. something had changed for me on that, la- that last time I drank, right? Like I just, I truly believed that I was done with it. Like I, I couldn't take it anymore, right? Actually, I think it was the recognition that I was doing it to myself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I'm actually doing this to myself, and Absolutely. so yeah, I'm 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 done with this. Um, alcohol is ethanol. 
what were some of the others? I mean, they were, to be honest, they were all kind of like very similar. It's just, I'm not, I can't do this to myself anymore. Like that was another version of the same yeah. thing perhaps. And that was it. And I think underneath it all was that desire to experience something different. And so maybe even just saying that out loud is like, there must be more to life. There must mm. be more to life just going out and getting wrecked every weekend. Yeah. And that's, I've been there a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And you can, you know, there's, there's two ways that you can go about it. Continue doing what you're doing or do something different. And that can also pertain to how you're thinking about different experiences that you're having or the same experience. Can you think about it differently? How powerful it is if you take a new perspective and you all of a sudden you're open to, um, a belief actually being something that is not your own or it's wrong and you need to change it. That can go a long way with making decisions that are massive changes in your life. Yeah. And beliefs are absolutely everything, right? Like you think they are the foundation of anything and everything on planet earth is obviously yeah. created by man or woman. You know, people go to war because of beliefs people end wars because of beliefs like there's everything starts with just somebody thinking about something right and whether they think it's right or wrong and how we can take somebody else's and just say yeah that sounds easy i'm going to take that and put it into ourselves but also as we're being raised and we start to take in societies cultures the cultures beliefs without even thinking about what they actually mean what they are when we start to question those and see how the, our values can align with them it can completely change how how we go about our day-to-day -day life yeah 100 percent, man and like this is you're right we don't as a kid we tend to just accept what we're being told, especially by adults, especially there are caregivers, right? Because it can be yeah. dangerous to to go against that in in terms of a child's brain, at least. Uh, and, it, and it actually can be dangerous to go against that in some situations as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I noticed with my kids, when they question everything, like I want to get irritated. I want to just, I want them to just accept what I'm telling them. But, they, you know, it's exactly what we're talking about here is that the only reason that happens in me is because they are challenging what I believe in myself. And actually now I love it when they question things and they challenge authority because you should, right? Because you can't, Absolutely. Like, if you're just accepting everything that you're told, then you're just going to be a, a clone almost, right? <laughs> Especially when it comes around alcohol. Yeah. And I've noticed that too, where my kids will be questioning me and it's like, I try really hard not to say because I said so. So yeah. <laughs> I will continue like following the whys and eventually I'll just say, well, why do you want to know? And then that kind of ends the whys if I, if I'm like stuck somewhere, but it is different. And also part of it is that's the parenting style that we saw a lot of times. So yes. if that's our reference, then we are going to get a little bit irritated when people question that. Yeah, 100%, man. I, I mean, I think we're similar ages. So that whole 80s and 90s parenting yes. is like, yeah, because I so, told you so. Like, just just get on with it. Like, don't ask questions, et cetera. And 
But I think that's why why is one of the most powerful questions, right? Because it, it does yes. challenge you. It does start opening you up to new perspectives or possibilities or alternatives, for example. And I think it's great. You know, my son asks why a lot. He really does. And A6, right? Like he's just trying to figure the world out, which is great. Uh, and I would never want him to lose that. And I think it's important for us on this journey as well to, to, to have that six-year-old curiosity to ask why, like, why do I believe this? Where did this come from? Why am I just accepting it as truth, right? Yeah. The challenge is, is that if you've been drinking for years, like I, you know, my drinking career was across 20 years almost, is that I didn't know any different at that time. And anything counter to that was a threat to ego, right? A threat to my belief that I was a good drinker. So that was another belief, actually, that I had to kind of let go and, and really challenge it myself right I like believing that drinking was the only thing I was good at and I feel incredibly sad for my past self when I think back and recognize that like that's what he believed about himself right that yeah you know that's, that's <laughs> yeah tough. I mean and that's the thing you know you're threatening who you are as a person because that's all you identify yourself as so how can you be comfortable and feel safe while you're okay if i'm not this then what is the point of me and that's where it's scary and if you look at it a that well i get to be who i choose to be you can start to have a lot of fun too yeah, I mean, that's such an amazing thing to think about, isn't it, right? Like, you can be whoever you choose to be. You can think whatever you want to think about. <laughs> There's yeah. no rules, man, but we, we don't recognize that a lot of the time because of that conditioning that we have growing up or because of, you know, the world around us. Yeah, sure, there's consequences to some things if we really right. wanted to go deep. But, you know, understanding, getting to understand yourself mm is yes. key and i think that's the the change that many people don't expect when they stop drinking right because i don't know if you notice this people come in and they want to stop drinking amazing but actually it's everything that comes after that it is about discovering who you want to be how you want to show up like what you're not going to tolerate any longer in your life like what you'd love to try in your life um and that can be a bit scary as well right like because that can yeah Again, it's like that's change. Mm. And that's, I do notice that people are like, I just want to stop, but I want everything else to stay the same, but I just want to stop. And it's like, but you're setting yourself up for failure just by stopping because everything else is pointing you towards the drink while also you want that drink so that everything else is tolerable, right? And if you don't, look internally at how you're viewing your external world. It's so hard to just, that's it. I'm done. And it really, you just end up not being fulfilled because you're just going to take that and either go somewhere else or just go on autopilot, which is what I did. And when you really start to un not just understand yourself, but what it is that is causing the stresses to drink. And that's, so like with this naked mind, being a coach and watching 
other people, what I'm noticing is you can, you don't have to tell people to stop, but Hey, we're going to start working on not just these beliefs, but beliefs around your life, things like that. And when you start to take these little pieces out, the desire to drink goes away because now you're not drinking to escape your life. You're, you're just like, well, I don't, I don't have a reason to, Oh, I never had a reason to that. It's like when you see people like that light switch, it's like, Oh, Oh shit. What? Is this fucking for real? Do I get to do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. They start realizing, Oh, drinking's not the only option here, right? Like there's other tools in the toolbox that I can use to, to deal with what's going on. But more importantly, understand why you think you need to deal with something in the first place or not deal with it. Ooh, ooh. Can you, can you expound on that a little bit? Because that is powerful. That is powerful. Yeah. So I'll just give a really easy example, right? Like you're, you're feeling stressed at work. And so you're feeling stressed at work and your thought is like, I just need to get home on. I need to have a beer because I've had such a shit day at work. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's, so you've got the drinking to relieve the stress, allegedly, quote unquote. I don't know what I'm doing, quote unquote, but allegedly, right? <laughs> um, but actually what we want to look at is why do you feel stressed at work, right? What is actually happening? Well, let's say it turns out that your boss is on a deadline and they've been kind of hounding you to get this project in for them, right? So you're feeling stressed because you're thinking like, oh, my boss doesn't like me. He's going to fire me if I don't get this thing in. And then so like all of those thought patterns that you've got going, they're, they're creating that feeling of stress. And then your brain's mathematician going, well, I, stress plus beer equals solution, <laughs> except it's not the case. And so we start looking at, okay, so yeah, you're not stressed because of your boss. You're stressed because your brain is thinking that you're going to get fired or that you're not doing a very good job and stuff. So when we can actually start reframing that and recognize okay your boss your boss is stressed right it's not he's not stressing because of you he's stressing because of what's happening for him and you can start to create that little bit of dissociation from what's going on and recognize that oh okay so this is me thinking that i'm going to get the sack like when you can start recognizing that's not probably going to happen. And if it did, then maybe you're in the wrong job anyway. Right. Yeah. And you start recognizing, Oh, so it's, I'm not stressed because of my boss. I'm stressed because of what I'm thinking about my boss and what I think is on the line. And once you start untangling all of that, then all of a sudden you recognize you're not as stressed. Right. And when mm. you're not as stressed, you don't want to drink. And yeah, I mean, that's the loop of the stories that we get stuck in our heads about everything. And yeah. so when those stories start to repeat and they snowball, of course you want to shut your brain off. Of course, that's what you want to do. It'll stop the stories for a moment. Right. Yeah. And then they come back louder. It just hit, you just hitting pause. That's all you're doing. Right. Like, this, yeah. And I love that kind of analogy because they are the stories. So many of the guys that I work with, the reason they drink or the reason they think they drink is because they just want to turn their brains off, which is exactly what you've just said. Right. Mm -hmm. But what we want to underdo, what we want to do is understand, well, why is your brain thinking in the way that it's thinking? Because that's actually the thing that you can control, right? Like once you become aware of it, then you can start deciding, well, 
coming back to the why like why why yes. am i thinking that where does it come from is it true you know how do i know it's true right you can really start questioning what all of those thoughts are and you can start to find the truth in there right yeah <clears throat> and when you can when you start to ask the right questions about the story and all of a sudden you get to the the kernel that is the truth like you said the worry that your boss doesn't like you or the worry that you're going to get fired and you're like okay that is that is like that's the kernel that's the through line is it true no so why am i worried about that what can i do that would be better for me could i you know all of a sudden be able to just take some deep breaths and relax and understand that i'm okay here and then that could help you work through your work and you're not as stressed going through it that is the case a lot of the time and that little kernel, it can, because that inner critic can be such a fucking asshole. Though, you know, the worst person in the world oftentimes is the voice inside our heads. And so if we can just take it and find like the little kernel that's in there, like I said, and be able to sift that out and be like, okay, thank you for pointing this out. Now let's run it through neutral so that we can actually see the truth. And damn. Yeah. This is a lot more peaceful in here. I didn't know it could be like that. <laughs> and yeah. it doesn't have to be long either. It can be quicker. The just like any other skill. The more you do it, you can do it a lot faster than what I just described to you in. Yeah, I, that's uh, like Tony Robbins, you know, the uh US coach. Like he always yeah. says, if you're in your head, you're dead. <laughs> And I love that little expression because it, it makes so much sense because when you're just in your head and you're just rinsing through those stories on repeat most of the time, they're making you feel a certain way. Those feelings are making you then think in a certain way. It just becomes like a, a self-fulfilling thing, right? But when yes. you actually stop to take a minute, whether that's working with a coach and hear yourself speak out loud, whether it's writing something down, whether it's even just talking out loud to yourself, right? Like there's such powerful tools to break those thought loops and start questioning them and start giving your brain different options different directions in which it can take it i think it's worth remembering right because our brain is negativity bias it's, it's designed to look out for dangers and threats except the dangers and threats that we have in our modern age aren't the same that our brain was kind of first evolved for right like yeah survival and so now our brain wants to focus on things at work for example and like think that's a life or death situation and it's it never is well very well i mean hopefully it never is but very rarely it's never that extreme right but our brain wants to go to worst case scenarios and we also can give a bit of airtime to best case scenarios right or if not best neutral at least yeah absolutely and just the peace that can come from hitting that neutral especially when you're used to just running those story loops in your head and oh this is possible that's that's new i wonder what else is possible and how that can take you to other areas where you can question this not just your beliefs around alcohol not just the stories that you're having that are taking you to alcohol but you know if we could talk about food we could talk about hobbies we could talk about it, anything in your life that you think you're enjoying, you can kind of take a look. Do I actually enjoy this or do I think I should enjoy it? So I'm continuing to do it. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. That's 
that's the one that has, uh, it's really helped me to reshape how I approach my day-to-day life is, am I actually enjoying this? Not really. Okay. Why am I continuing to do this? Because I think that I should, because I was probably told along the way that this is fun. This is something I enjoy, or maybe it's just something I used to enjoy and it's run its course and I'm not enjoying it anymore. Yeah. Well, that was alcohol in a nutshell for me, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And you know, I've seen it with different hobbies that I've had and I've gone back to the hobbies that I was, I stopped for a while and I've, I still enjoy them now, but I enjoy them in a different way that it doesn't take, it doesn't, it doesn't have any dread for me going to do it now. It's just like, I want to, this is something I want to do and I'm going to enjoy it. And no matter what happens, I'm not going to be like, Oh, this was more stress than what it was worth. I shouldn't have done this because it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing about stopping drinking as well is that because you get so much time and so much energy back, mm. right? Yeah. You you can kind of go back to some of the hobbies because I think drinking becomes a hobby, right? Like or you, at least you think it is, especially if you're like a connoisseur of craft ales and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, unless you think you're a professional. <laughs> yeah, right. And like then me. Yeah. And then you can kind of go back to like, well, what are the things that I used to enjoy and kind of going through that framework and actually finding out like, do I like doing this anymore? Fine. Keep doing it. Well, what else is there for me to do? I know for me, man, once I stopped drinking, I got stuck into coaching big time, right? Like all of my time and energy went into that and that, that then became my hobby and then it became my business. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of did something similar where I went into my career, but I kind of went hyper-focusing career, hyper-focusing relationship, career, being a dad, back to, and then it was like this feeling that there has to be more to life than just working, taking care of the kid, working, taking care of the kids. I was looking for that more fulfillment. And so having to ask myself the question of what would be more fulfilling and, you know, that led me to start a podcast. It led me to really do a self-discovery journey and trying to figure out how I can make a bigger impact in my immediate surrounding than I currently was. And a lot of it was how I viewed myself. And it took me a long time to get to how I viewed myself. <laughs> yeah, man. It's what it always comes down to is how you view yourself. Yeah. You just reminded me of uh, another belief, actually, as you were sharing that. You, you know, you're asking beliefs that help me stop drinking. Well, one of the beliefs was that alcohol will change everything. And, mm. but it was almost, it didn't change everything. And it did, right? Like, there's a little bit of a paradox to it because I thought if I stop drinking and everything in my life is going to get better. Yes. Right? That was one of my beliefs, which which actually helped me to stop drinking. But what I soon realized is that, oh, okay, so I've stopped drinking and now there's some more stuff to start working on and start looking at, which is what you're talking about there, right? Like going on that journey of self-discovery. And that's not something to be afraid of, right? Like that's actually something to embrace, 
but you know stopping drinking is just the start yeah stopping drinking is the start and then it's like opens you up to all of these other options and availabilities and and finding out about yourself yeah absolutely and i think i mean that was a big one for me where i thought if i stop drinking everything's going to sort itself out and it did for a little while but it, it's been since i've really started to understand myself give myself the belief that i'm human like not just not just like the logical yes i know i'm human but like the understanding and the belief that i am human so i'm going to make mistakes and learn about myself why i can fall into some patterns like when that happened oh i can give myself compassion that i give to all my friends i can give myself com the leeway that i give to my partner or my kids or other areas of life if i'm not so hard on myself what can i actually accomplish mm. damn that's it that's a question for everybody if you're not so hard on yourself what is it that you could actually accomplish wow let that stay out there for a minute. I've never, I've never said that before, but yeah, that's why I love like this podcast has been so transformational for me, and I love having conversations with thought-provoking people such as yourself because all of a sudden you say something, it's like shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a super powerful question, and. It used to show up for me in the opposite way. It's like, why am I not as compassionate to myself as I am for other people, right? Yeah. But the challenge with that variation is that your brain's going to look for the reasons as to why you're not. And so you actually just end up reinforcing that belief. And yet the way that you framed it, right, is what if I'm not being that hard on myself, what can I accomplish? Well, that's a totally different question and... <sighs> search results that you're going to get. And that's, that's something like when you're questioning beliefs and you're looking at your thoughts, you can take similar sentences and flip some words around. And it's just like finding a new perspective where all of a sudden it opens your mind to look at it differently. It's like you're standing and looking at something straight on and you don't see the solution. And you ask yourself that different question. All of a sudden, you go ninety off, and you can see the back too. Oh, I could. I just got to plug that one in there. It's not too bad. Mm -hmm. So, where I've found a lot of this is because of Brene Brown, who's been super. I'm Brene Brown stan. Like she's so influential and helped open my mind. But when she talks about the difference between shame and guilt, she breaks mm -hmm. it down to so easy, right? Shame is, I am. I am stupid. I am a piece of shit. I am statements that you're taking, you're taking an action or something that actually isn't about you or maybe that you did and you're making it an identifier, ad identifier basically. And guilt is when you can separate the person from the action. So instead of I am stupid, that was stupid. I can do better. Instead of I'm a piece of shit, that did not go how I wanted it to go. 
I can change going forward so that I don't make somebody feel like that again. That was not a way that I want to act in any situation anymore. Instead of just saying, I'm a piece of shit. I can't believe that my action caused them to feel like that. I don't want to do that again. And all of a sudden that starts to change just how you think about yourself just by changing how you're saying that statement and what you're actually doing with it. And then you can look at your past that same way. And it's like, shit, I'm not a piece of shit. I've done some shitty things, but that doesn't mean that I'm a piece of shit. (sighs) That was good to get out. (laughs) Yeah, right. I think it's so important, man. Like you are not what you do, right? So when you're, you're drinking, like yeah. that's not who you are, right? Like that's something you do versus who you are. But when you start making it mean like all these horrible, mean things about yourself, which is often what the brain does, then that actually, like you said, just feeds the shame. And then the shame feeds the thoughts and then the thoughts feed the shame and the shame feeds the actions. And then you just kind yeah. of like in that horrible loop cycle. And the brain becomes addicted to it as well, right? Because it's that you get used to those certain feeling states and it becomes efficient way for your brain to think because your brain doesn't really care about the results, right? Like it just wants to be efficient. It just wants to do what it knows how to do best. So we've got to be so careful with like what we're training it to do. I never thought about it that way. And that is, wow. When you think about it that way, like it's like, of course. Yeah, that makes sense why the brain would do that. And mm. you hear the statements of, you know, what you feed is going to be the strongest. You hear statements like, um, you know, uh, what you focus on is how it's going, you know, how you're going to actually view things. But when you break it down into that, the brain wants to be efficient. So what it does the most is what it's going to be most efficient at. So of course it's going to come back. And that's why as you try to change things, you know, neuroplasticity, where it turns out you can teach an old dog new tricks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's why, that is why those neural pathways sometimes will fire because it's what it's used to. Yeah, exactly. Which is why awareness is so fucking important, right? Yeah. They're becoming aware of those scripts, that commentary that's happening in your brain, you know, noticing when you're saying oh i'm a piece of shit or why am i so stupid or i'm never going to be able to do this those thoughts are just going to create more of that for you but once you become aware and you start questioning them start asking why why am i choosing to believe that like where does that come from is that me believing that is that what other people told me because we've got a lifetime of other people telling us stuff right and when we're young we we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to process it. And I do a lot. I'm doing work with through Gabor Mate's program, Compassionate Inquiry. And what he talks about in there is that when you are young, rather than someone says something to you, like, oh, you did something wrong, you would make it mean I am wrong. A little bit similar to what you're talking about with uh, Brené Brown's work around shame, right? Yeah. Is like when you're a child, you don't know how to discern the difference. You you think the reason that adult is cross or angry or upset with you is because of you, but it never is. It's always about them, right? It's about their emotional state and whatever they were triggered by in their past and stuff. And 
we just kind of keep going through life, kind of repeating patterns. I, I, everything I see from Gabor Mate is like, feed me more, right? And yeah, that makes so much sense. And it, I, you know, as a parent, I get frustrated. I lose my patience. And when I see my kids react, uh, in a fearful way, or they think that it's them, I tend to let them know that I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at about something else and it's just coming out and it seems like daddy's mad, but I'm not mad at you. And they get a hug and just realizing why that's important to, um, to give your children, to allow them to understand that it's not their fault that I'm feeling this way. And God, you know, that is so, that's powerful for parents or honestly, Different if you're dealing world. with coworkers, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, a bit like the example I gave earlier with your boss being stressed at you, but he's not actually stressed at you. He's stressed because of what's going on inside of him. He's probably stressed because of what happened to him when he was younger and he's dealing with the way that he was taught how to deal with stress, right? Yeah. And that all of a sudden it just opens you up to so much more compassion. I don't know about, I don't, as a kid, I don't remember my parents having them kind of conversations with me. Like I do, I remember like, oh, I was the cause of that. Yep. You know, I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I'm sure many of the listeners can resonate with that as well. And I had a parent teacher conference just finding out how my kid's doing in kindergarten. And the teacher said, this was yesterday, actually, uh, beginning of November. She said that uh, pretty much everybody in her classroom is kind and compassionate. And she, this is the first class that's really been that way. Like she's so proud of it. And she feels really fortunate and lucky to have that kind of a classroom. And I sit and sit back and think like, yeah, but we are parenting so much differently. Mm. That's the results. You don't get to see them every single day, but you go into a parent teacher conference and all of a sudden you find out how kind and caring your kid is. And it's like, we tend to put that right onto our child, which is yes, of course, give them the props, give them the, I'm proud of you. But also understanding that that has a lot to do with me and their mom too, and how we are approaching them, teaching them what they're seeing from us and give yourself credit as well. Don't take all the credit because they get to choose whether to do it or not, but you also get to take some of the credit that I am doing not just what I need to do, but I'm doing a good job, right? I'm that is an actual indicator that I am doing a good job. Yeah. And for me, stopping drinking has been a huge part yes. of changing how I parent. Because I, you know, I've got a daughter, she's 15. If I could go back and change the clocks, I would. I'd parent her very differently than the way I did. Because when, when she was growing up, I was still drinking, right? And so I was being short. And I was just, life was evolved around alcohol. Uh, whereas my son, like I drank for a year when he was born. So he never, ever remember me drinking. And it's so different in terms of 
how I parent and I'm trying to obviously parent the same way for both of them now, but they're both they're very different needs, right? We've got a fifteen year old yeah. and a six year old. And so yeah, the parents change and you know, if I was still drinking, I don't know that that would have happened to be quite honest. And and being a learning to apologize to your kids, like that was really hard in the beginning, man. Learning to be able yeah. to walk away from situations that again, that's really hard because that wasn't what I was modeled ever. Yeah. You're absolutely right there. Um, and that's where, you know, as a parent, you can see that, but also, the other relationships in our life, like we talked about the boss earlier, but what, you know, whether it's a partner, whether it's a friend, how you're showing up for them as well can be dictated by your thoughts and beliefs and how looking at yourself and how you've kind of gone through relationships. This has been massive for me, especially in friendships. How have I showed up in friendships? Because I always felt like the ones that, people showed up for me, I didn't feel worthy of. And the ones that I had to really put in effort for, those were the ones that I felt like I, that's what I deserve. So I need to put this effort in to show that I'm worthy. Right. And now seeing that and realizing and how it shifted the people that are in my life and just made my life so much more, so much easier. You want to talk about getting energy back. Now I get to use my energy for me and for things that I want to do with my kids and all of that. That is powerful as well. Re, you know, understanding yourself and then why do I want a friend where I show up for them and they don't show up for me, but I'm okay with it. Mm. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's doing it for you, right? Like having mm. that respect and love for yourself without any expectations of others and just understanding that you don't have to prove your worth to anybody like it's good don't get me wrong it's good to put effort into a relationship into a friendship but if that effort's not coming back in some way then it's time to evaluate if that's a person that you want in your life so patrick as we're kind of winding down here People want to mm. keep in touch with you. What's a good way? So there's a few different ways you can get in touch with me. On Facebook, I've got a couple of groups. One's called the Alcohol Rethink Project. That is for men and women and however you identify. And then I've also got another group, which is just for guys, which is called Sober Curious Men. Then you can find me on Instagram as the Alcohol Rethink Project or as RJ mentioned earlier, you can check out my podcast, the Alcohol Rethink Podcast, get amazing guests on just like AJ, talk about alcohol and education and beliefs. Like we go everywhere. So those are the best places. That's awesome. And I highly recommend, you know, checking out Patrick's podcast and also, you know, following him on social media because there's a lot of really interesting things that can come out, especially when you hear questions framed in ways that you haven't heard it before and say like, oh maybe that is something that's not actually healthy in my life but i've thought it was hmm and that's amazing um patrick if you want if you could leave the listeners with one thing what would that be one thing 
I think we've been touching on it as we've been going through this episode today. And I think that is about cultivating compassion in yourself for yourself. Mm. I think one of the biggest things for me is being able to heal that relationship with my past self, right? All of those beliefs I had about myself, which internalized at a really young age where I didn't know the difference, like being able to let go of them, all of the ones where like, like your example like thinking I was a piece of shit thinking I wasn't worthy thinking no one loved me I wasn't lovable like all of them right but actually recognizing that like that version of you was just doing their best at the time doesn't mean that those things are true and just because you've been believing them for 20 odd years ever since still doesn't make them true and so start looking finding compassion for yourself for your past and for your present because that is obviously going to contribute to the future as well yeah, it is. That's a that's an amazing one. So thank you so much, Patrick. I appreciate you joining us. Um, again, that's the Alcohol Rethink podcast. And check out the show notes and we'll have um, we'll have those groups listed as well. So appreciate you being on here, Patrick. And everybody, let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today, because at least we don't make it. We tried. Have a great week, everyone. I love you.